Welcome to hashtag blessed version of the Millennial Pastor Podcast. I'm your host, Josiah. I'm your co-host, Byron. And I'm your co-host, Will. For the record, this is our short-form show. We've had some of our uh, listeners get a little confused. We're trying to do this version of the show weekly. We might not always do that because, you know, stuff like Thanksgiving and Christmas might impede our ability to do that or our desire. But we're trying to do our long-form version like what you heard from with Cassidy last week, maybe every other week. We're trying to have nuns and duns. Then we're going to hopefully interview some seasoned saints, people that have been in the church a long time, who seem to care about passing on something to the next generation. And then finally, we're still going to hear from millennial pastors. But each of those cycles, none and done, then season saint, then millennial pastor, that's going to be a cycle of about three, maybe four guests if we do two millennial pastors in a row. And those are our long-form shows, and they're going to be every other week-ish. This week, it's going to be weekly-ish. I'm going to keep saying ish because <laughs> you never know what's going to happen, right? Because, like, stuff happens, but... Yeah, it might be every. We might do it twice a week. I mean, no, dude, I'm not doing that. <laughs> oh, oh my lord, uh, the other way. You really don't like talking way. to us that much, huh? It's only I once really, a week. I re- yeah, hopefully less than that if I can get away with. Just kidding, dude. I love you guys. <laughs> my faves, totes, precious. So, anyways, reminders again. This is a time show. We try to keep it short and sweet because our long form shows live up to their name. So, without any further ado. Uh, we're going to get it started. We're going to do two five-minute segments and then a 10-minute segment. Are you guys ready? Is this too quick? Are we already, like, being way too efficient with this stuff? I'm such ready. You're such ready. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, let's, let's do it. <laughs> You're let's such it. ready. Uh, that's using my intentionally poor grammar against me, Byron. I appreciate well, I mean, it. I just remember getting corrected on Facebook when we would say such stupid stuff with such instead of and people would we be like, would... that's not right. I'd always just say, that's such cute, Byron. That's such yeah. cute. And be like, do you not know English? All right, let's 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 start. I'm such ready. All right, sec- segment one is this week, this happened, five minutes. I'm going to start. All right, dudes. So last week, I think we talked about getting old and stuff and how our bodies hurt all the time. Maybe that. Maybe I'm imagining that, but maybe I'm just too old and I can't remember. But about a year ago, I developed uh, lactose intolerance, which is a thing that you can do, I guess which is just so infuriating. And this week, I, I don't know, some sort of sick humor or something like that, but I kid you not, every meal has had some sort of cheese or dairy in it, and I always forget my dumb pills so that I can actually eat cheese or dairy without suffering repercussions. And since this is like sort of a clean show, I'm not going to tell you exactly what the repercussions are, but they're painful for me, and they're also... Uh, unpleasant for my family and for my wife in particular. But, oh, my Lanta, this is so lame. And do you guys know how much lactose-free milk costs, by the way? Are either one of you lactose intolerant? No. No way. So just a quart. So like half a gallon, I think, right? That's what a quart is. I, it's comparable. Yeah, I, I don't know if it's the exact same, <laughs> but, yeah, it's close. Half-ish, right? Yeah, it's about I I don't know. 350 to 4 bucks for a quart of lactose-free milk. Yeah, it's definitely more expensive. I had to buy it for a kid at our group home cuz she has she was lactose intolerant. And it's definitely a lot more expensive. So I was we'll on it for this milk. person only. This person only like it's just like literally like don't anybody else touch this. 
Yeah. Yeah, because liquid gold. How do you get? How do you get it out? I don't understand that. How do you get lactose out of milk? It's all about the the process of. Will we're uh, not cow scientists, okay? Like. We're... <laughs> yeah, yeah, me neither. I didn't know that was a thing. Cool. Next just next cows. show, we're gonna get a cow scientist on just for. <laughs> hey, so we're wondering how do you extract the lactose? So it's just an enzyme uh, that I lack to break down the particular thing in in milk i guess i can't break down lactose so i need like the extra so when i take a pill the enzyme is in the pill from what i understand and you know there could be like my cousin he he knows way more about this he's been lactose intolerant since he was five and i kid you not it's such like what goes around comes around karma e sort of a thing where i make i make fun of him all the time i would intentionally so sit there relentlessly and i would drink milk in front of him i'd eat cheese i'd like eat ice cream like <laughs> oh, it sucks to be you, man. Look at me enjoying this uh, dairy. And then I it ends up being that I'm lactose intolerant. And he's, like, really nice to me about it. And I'm like, wow, I feel like such a jerk. Well, he gave you a lot of – I remember when this first happened. He's like, oh, this is what I take. This is when you take it. This is how it works. But the best part about that, though, is your cousin for a while That's used to sell say. ice cream. Hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> like, he used to drive around and, and like, stock ice And he was, he was sold ice cream. I don't know what he's doing now. I don't, he might still be doing it, honestly. Uh, I yeah, don't think he so, is. Though. Is he okay? No, different I think company, he is. though, right? Okay. <laughs> yeah. So, so yeah, he he sells ice cream and he's lactose intolerant, and I always thought <laughs> it was funny. And he goes, and he just kind of laughs. He's like, "Yeah, I get it. It's funny, but I mean, it's just weird because <laughs> he knows a lot about ice cream too now because he sells yeah. it. So like, he knows everything about it, and he can't really have it regularly unless it's he terrible. takes a, a pill first. That would be really sad. Yes, that would be horrible. Yeah, just imagine. So Caitlin had to be lactose free for a minute because we're like our youngest kid now. Since she's still breastfeeding, if she has too much dairy, he has projectile vomit. It is ridiculous. So this stuff is apparently no joke. And I'm wondering. So he's la- he's lactose intolerant too. I guess I don't know. It's crazy that it can happen through the breast milk, but it makes me wonder how much it's me like my genetics versus what's actually happening with our milk supply. Like it makes me a little more suspicious about the whole food industry. If I'm honest. Well, the other thing is human. Is that a millennial? Probably thing? humans are weird. <laughs> Conspiracy like, theory. <laughs> no other mammals. If I, I'm, I mean, I might be off on this, but I'm pretty sure other mammals besides like infants can't have other mammals milk. So, like, the fact that we drink milk from a cow or a goat or anything else is weird. We're the only mammal that drinks another mammal's milk, I guess, is probably... Well, I, I do know that you can do... You can give milk to, like, babies. Like, you could feed sheep with, like, cow's milk, because people do it. But I think it's only when they're infants. Like, every, every other mammal, like, that's not a possibility when you're older. Like, it makes them sick. Like, you know, like you. Yeah, thanks, pal. So, no, that's what I'm saying. Is you're you're the normal one. Will and I are mutants. We should be in the X Men. <laughs> Byron, are you a cow scientist? <laughs> Dropping that knowledge? No, but I have looked at it a little bit, <laughs> and I did say I might be wrong. So, I mean, oh, that's don't the quote time, me on it, but I think I might. I think that's correct. Okay, next next time, folks, maybe we'll get a cow scientist. Moving on to segment two, Byron. <laughs> Byron, you're up. Are you ready? Yeah. So for the really dumb title of pop culture and being a cool kid, it's not dumb. It's super catchy and funny and trendy, Byron. Don't even hate on it. I'm gonna hate on it forever. <laughs> um, so we're we want to talk about smartphones and like I, I'm gonna start with a story. So my grandfather, who is not very tech savvy, 
Like I've had to go over very simple things with him a lot on how to like how to print uh, pictures that are in his email or like random. We go over it a bunch, and like I know. We'll say how old he is too, because that'll help. He, he's he's, he's eighty nine. He just turned eighty nine. Get but, it? But like, yeah. So like he he loves using his computer, but like when you first need to show him something, he needs to see it several times. And I, I don't mean several times in one setting. I do that. We go over it like six times the first time. <laughs> And then the next time I go up, he calls me and says, hey, can you help me out with this again? I was like, yeah. So I showed him five more times. And then, like, after the third time of somebody showing him, he usually gets it mostly. Um, so my mom, for some reason, is trying to convince him to get a smartphone. He's got a flip phone right now. Yes. And he does text a little bit to, like, his kids and, like, uh, sometimes grandkids. And he likes getting pictures. So his, his camera's terrible on his phone. And he can't see pictures because, one, he's got bad eyesight anyway. But on a flip phone, when you, when you send him a picture from your phone, I was just going to look like garbage. Well, it's a so tiny my mom, screen anyway. Yeah, yeah, it's just bad. So my mom was talking to him about this, and, and we were talking about it this weekend. And he's like, he was super nervous about it. But I was like, well, you can get a GPS. He's like, what would I use it for? And I was like, well, you're probably not going to use it for your email. You're not going to use it for, like, he's got a tablet that he uses just for reading. It's like a Kindle. It's a Kindle Fire. He uses it for literally nothing but reading. Like he's never been on the the web browser. He doesn't like he doesn't even buy books and stuff through it. He does that on his laptop and then just downloads them on his. So like he it's gonna be an, see but that's impressive that he can do that. That took a while. Uh, like, that mean, that was a Linda. Our Aunt Linda cool. spent a long time getting him set up on that and it works. But like so he wants to get a smartphone. He's like, oh, I could use the GPS and the camera and the texting. That's about all he's gonna use. And then phone calls, you know. So we were talking about all that, but, um, so it's just kind of funny that we kind of had this conversation like, Hey, smartphones and what they're doing to our culture. And then my grandfather who's 89 is about to get one. Um, but, uh, the thing we want to talk about though, is like the idea that we have the internet in our pocket now. So like, there's no, what I call fun arguments. And I don't mean like arguing and being mean to each other. I mean, just arguing about something stupid that has no value. <laughs> and then you just go, oh, well, we can just Google it now. So it's not that fun. Like when we were kids, and Will, I hope you remember this. I'm sure you do. We used to do a thing in the car, which we called pointless trivia. Mm-hmm. Pointless trivia. Pointless trivia. So yes. we would literally just be like in the car, like my brothers and I or Josiah was there sometimes. And we'd just be like, okay, to the whole car, pointless trivia. Um, I, one argument we did have, and I was wrong was what species was Sebastian on the Little Mermaid? And honestly, I can't huh. tell you what he really is because I forgot already. I mean, I forgot again. He's a he's a crab. He, okay, see, I thought he was a lobster. Yeah. And I argued that for like 20 minutes. And my dad finally was just like, Byron, <laughs> you're wrong. He's a crab. But the thing is, and I was like in junior high. And the thing is, my brothers and I were arguing about this in a fun way. We weren't like being mean and insulting each other. It was a dumb game we loved to play when we were bored, especially in the car. More than more than likely, that game took place when we were on the road. So now, though, we just go, oh, it wasn't he a crab? No, he was a lobster. Hell, let's Google it. Well, that's the reality, though. Is like, can can you even be sure of anything if you can't find it on Google? It's true. I mean, if it's not on Google, it's not. Hey, just, I, I, I can be sure you're lactose intolerant without using Google because oh I've been goodness. around you when you've had. Dairy. You know. <laughs> You're welcome. Uh, you know, you know what I'm saying though. There, so, like, I have conversations with people, like, "Oh, I'm not really sure about that. Let me check." And when they say, "Let me check," they're basically pulling out the internet from their pocket and not trusting their own recollection or their own intelligence or their own ability to 
like retain Reason. data or information. So for yeah, I I feel like it's kind of sad because so many times people are like, oh, I can't remember. Let me second. Let me let me check my second brain because that's what the smartphones become. So I always I always ask like, are they really smartphones? Or are they just making us dumber because we're trusting its ability to compute data more than our own brain? I mean, you got you guys know you check Google or YouTube at least like every hour for something, right? A minimum. No. What? I'm an older millennial, so I don't know if I count. Hey, uh, just yeah. I have a real job. I don't have time to check Google all the time. <laughs> <laughs> I have to, you know, be at work. No, I, I mean, I try to. Not at I work. Can't... When you're hanging out with friends, there's going to be opportunity for, like, at least probably. Honestly. Oh, there's a timer. Honestly, the thing I check Google for the most, and my parents do it, too, and I think it's funny. We watch, like, a sports, anything, anything, like a, a movie, whatever. And we go, I wonder how old that actor, that athlete is. Yes. And, you and know, then where they're IMDb from. Or, and so then you, you Google it and you're like, oh, they're this, 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 like that coach is only this year, this old. Like, that's crazy. Like the Oklahoma University's coach is pretty young. I can't, he's 30 something. I, I can't just remember. about, maybe not. Every but we hour, talked but about that. I guarantee that. you every time, if we lived in the same city still, every time we hung out, someone's pulling out Google to prove something. That's probably because we you. have dumb conversations though. But. Every time, <laughs> if we were going to hang out. And and you're so stubborn. So Absolutely. you got to prove the stubbornness <laughs> wrong. Who, me or are we collectively stubborn? I would say the collective we. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, the you is plural for you two. Yeah, but we're also but, in know, that. I guess. Whatever, Will. However, right. in the great debate of Sebastian, Will was correct and I was incorrect. And I just want to make the. Just want to put that out there. I was wrong when I was like 12 or 13. About what kind of species? And never Sebastian. again since. So. <laughs> no, I uh, I just mean in that debate. <laughs> and since then, you've become a cow scientist. <laughs> so there you go. He spent a lot of Google searching. <laughs> it's because he read up on Google all about cows today, so that now he's an expert. <sighs> yeah, there you go. I mean, there are scientists who study cows. Like that's a thing. They probably don't call them cow scientists, but come on. No, why wouldn't they? That makes perfect sense. <laughs> uh, <laughs> All right, I think Will's up. We're going to derail this show if we don't let Will go. All right, all right. Yeah, so we're going to spend 10 minutes here talking about something that has theological significance after just talking about cow <laughs> So there you go. Um, yeah, so so you guys kind of brought this up to me, and so you're going to have to fill me in a little bit. Uh, but I definitely want to talk about the, this idea of virtual reality and the church, and you specifically – guys have mentioned something about a virtual reality baptism i have not heard of this before but apparently there's a church that that actually did a virtual reality baptism and i'll let you guys explain it because i don't want to ruin ruin it so there you, you know a virtual reality is in just like real world terms right it's just you you can take a phone or or a little tablety thing and you put it in some sort of uh I don't even know what you call it. Basically, you have goggles that a phone goes into. Right. And yeah. 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 Like a. Headset. Yeah. And so, um, basically, there there's a church organized in some sort of online networking app thing, and I don't know what it's called. Do you know what that thing is called, Byron? There's like some sort of service, but basically, this is just called VR Church. And that. So I guess it's according to this little thing I'm reading. It's there's a pastor named DJ Soto, and I don't know, like. Essentially, uh, DJ Soto, virtual reality baptized. So, like, his avatar is in this virtual space, 
and he does like services and worship and stuff and leads music and preaches, I guess. Um, but then his avatar baptized someone else's avatar in a virtual pool of water. So it's technically, I guess, the first virtual reality baptism ever. And the big question, apparently, uh, no, not apparently, but like, I guess the big question I have, obviously, and this may be the wrong way to ask it, but I'm not a master of the divine like you will. So um, <laughs> I'll help you. Thanks, I'll help you. Out. I appreciate it. Um, is uh, does that count? And that's probably not the right way of asking it, but that's what people are asking. There's been so like I'm in a, a couple pastor groups. I think you're in some of them, too. But that's basically the question. Like, OK, what do I do with this? Is this even real? Does this even count virtual reality? Like, what do we actually think about baptism? What do we think about 21st century practices? Yeah. What is the word? I, I guess. I mean, hold on. Let me Google it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> what does the word virtual mean? I mean, you know, what's do you know off the top of your head? No. I can look it up, though. I mean, it's just not in the almost or nearly as described, but not completely or according to strict definition. So, I mean, it, even in the definition, right, yeah. the, the virtual reality, well, it's not real well, yeah it's almost real it's nearly as described so i mean i don't know to me that's that's enough to <laughs> to to, to kind of shoot that down a little bit I, I you know i've seen more discussions on uh and it, it's not necessarily virtual reality but i've seen a lot more discussions on um i don't know if you remember josiah uh i don't even remember what event it was or, or what happened or why it was such a big deal but but the church of the nazarene did some kind of uh, global thing um, where they they all took communion together over over some video messaging kind of thing over the um, internet. So, so they was, weren't all in one place. Yeah, but I mean, not just over the internet. Like the like we they're all videoing themselves yeah. receiving communion at the same time. It was like know, a they mass, could see everybody else. Blah, blah, blah. Skype right or some sort of mass yes. video conferencing yeah, yeah, thing yeah zoom or whatever yeah yeah and well and, and so i've seen a lot of discussions on that and that happened like when i was in seminary maybe um so that's been a while ago but there's just this idea of and and i know there's a huge criticism of that while i was in what seminary i think is interesting about that of, though of is that. if was there someone of course so according to the church the rule like the rules of the nazarene church someone has to be ordained or like licensed and has to have approval to do the Eucharist. So there was probably someone on site who was ordained and approved to do the Eucharist. So that one, I wouldn't have as big of a problem with this one is when you well, what, go ahead. Sorry. No, this was individual though. Oh. So it'd be like me going. Yeah. Going, no, so I, I have my, I have my element. I have the elements and then, and then I, you know, oversee the, so someone virtually, you know, it's the implementation yeah, of someone that sacrament. virtually implemented the, the sacrament basically. But right, they weren't there. Right, but to, it wasn't virtual reality. To bless the, but, the no, actual but, elements themselves because they weren't in the same place. I had a friend once in college who got right. mad about this situation. He was like, because we wanted to do, uh, we wanted to serve the Eucharist in, our, in a Bible study we had in college. And so I asked the professor and he said, hey, go to this student. He's licensed. And I, you know, we can make it all work out. Um, but he was upset because my friend was because he's like, well, what if we were on a desert island? He's like, okay, that's a different situation. <laughs> like that's that's we we're not we were at, we were at a like a, a a a university that was Nazarene, where there were literally 
I don't know how many ordained elders who taught there and several people who were licensed because they worked at churches. Like we could find somebody here. Licensed to be a pastor, right? Like, I mean, yeah, yeah. They, they were, they had a district license. And so with the approval of their pastor, they could serve Eucharist. I think the rules might've changed slightly since then. I can't remember. I, heard, I read something about it, but it used to be anyway, when I was licensed, it was as long as my pastor, even if he wasn't present, if he knew that I wanted to serve Eucharist and he was okay with it, and I say he because I only work for male pastors, it worked for women too. But like, if I had their permission, like my the person, my boss, basically, my pastor, whoever's my boss, that was ordained. If they were cool with it, I could serve Eucharist, and I did a couple times at churches with their permission. You know, well, so, so Eucharist, Eucharist, and being networked—that's kind of interesting. But I guess if we're going to limit the scope to virtual baptism, will you, you're kind of a you're kind of saying you don't think that counts, right? Like, you, I, well, I don't like the word count, but I, I get what you, you know what I mean? I, yeah, I don't, I, I guess I don't like it. Would you consider that uh, an actual baptism, I guess, is a better way of asking it. No, I consider it a, a virtual reality baptism. <laughs> I mean, I mean the, the, so there's no, there's no water. There's no, you know, like there's no church present besides the, the, I don't even know what that would look like. The virtual avatars that are present. Yeah. So then what do you think of the, the virtual reality space? What do you think of the actual worship gathering? Cause this has been going on for, for maybe a few months, maybe, maybe half a year. I don't know exactly, but it's been kind of a new thing that's been, gaining traction and some people you know are asking some interesting questions like is this what church could look like or or should we like what should we think about this what does this what does this look like well, so what about okay so I, I would say sacraments i have an issue with now if they want to meet vert, like over the internet and have a service that doesn't really bother me um but you can't do the eucharist you can't do ba- I, I i don't think baptism works this way um, you can't have the sacraments because you're not physically there. But the other issue I have with this is, yes, you can meet virtually and talk and have avatars and all that, but you're not actually in a community together. You're missing a key piece of the church because, I mean, even worse than our churches, like our churches, you can do that too, where you can literally go talk to no one and leave. Um, and that happens a lot in mega churches or bigger churches because you can hide in a crowd of people. But like, if you're in this virtual, route, you you know, you're you're a different person online. You can be whoever you want to be. It could all be fake, and you could say, "Well, and it's an avatar." Yeah, to so with, like, right? So you I could mean, be you are totally fake. different than like what you what your avatar looks like. It doesn't have to be anything real. You guys have and watched then, the movie Ready Player One, right? I have not, but I know of it. Well. I have not either. Well, if you haven't seen it, I've heard of it. It's but a book, and I can give you the the two second rundown. It's the same sort of scenario, but instead of it being church, it's just like most people exist in this virtual reality world. Where, and when I say exist, I mean they spend all their time, but like basically all of their real life money is wrapped up into this game. Yeah. <clears throat> so like everything, mm. oh, okay. everything is in this game. So like if they fail, it's called zero out. They literally could lose all of their actual, you know, monetary assets. And mm. but it's just to escape the reality of the suck fest that is this dystopian future, basically. 
Oh, amen. Yeah. Yeah. So, hey, so if you want to get like super theological, it's not that super theological, but, but I mean, the idea of incarnation, I think could help us out in this situation. And so Jesus was, was bodily present in this world. And then, and so there's something valuable about, about that, that idea, that concept of being present, of being who we are. Um, and, and our bodies do matter and, and our bodies interacting with other bodies do matter. If we were Gnostics, maybe VR would be the thing to do. Oh, um, dang. Yeah. You know, because you're, you're, you're escaping uh, the reality of a bodily presence. But if, but since we're not, um, that, then I think, I think being physically present matters and, 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 and that's part of what it means to be the church is to be physically present together and experience physical but so so yeah i mean the senses we and we obviously you know we're, we're evangelicals and we take it for granted um the uh, our our other faith tradi- christian faith traditions do a little bit better job like the eastern orthodox church and the catholics uh they do a lot better job of of the actual senses like incorporating senses besides hearing and seeing yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, they do a lot of, taste, they do a smell. lot of like, yeah, taste and smell and things like that, which is really valuable, um, that we have, that we are getting back to as evangelicals, I think. Um, but, but anyway, so that idea like, yeah, you're not actually tasting the, the bread, the broken body and the, and the juice or the wine, depending on where, you know, where you line, yeah. line up on that one. Uh, and, and you're not, ex- yeah, the water, the, the, the burial and the rot and the, and the resurrection, you know, of, of, of the actual act. Um, and, and the congregation isn't present to, to, to be a part of that, to experience that with you, to welcome you. So for baptism, to welcome you into the church of Jesus Christ. So, so for me, that's, I mean, theologically speaking, like that would be my biggest thing is, is, is like the incarnation speaks to that well, and that we're not bodily present. And that's, I do before we, I know we're out of time, but just a, just quick disclaimer. I don't want people to think that we are bagging. So, like, a lot of churches now will, like, video their services and put them on the Internet. Um, And that has been one way that has helped a lot of people who end up with illnesses, who can't leave their house, people who get stuck. Um, That has become a tool where it it still helps people connect with the church somewhat. So, I don't – I mean, they're not there to – they're not served Eucharist. They're not baptized. You know, like, it's not the same, but – I just want to say there are some valuable uses for the internet and church to keep people somewhat connected, but those are not just a, Hey, tune in every week and see what we do and then never be here. Unless you absolutely can't, unless you have a medical situation or there's, there's a, an actual reason you can't make it physically. It's a good next option. So I don't want to, I don't want people to think that we are like attacking that idea and, you know, there are people who become invalids and they, they can't leave their house or, you know, people who are on hospice and they still tune in until, you know, and, and watch their church service to have some kind of connection outside of what their current situation is. So. Right. So, I, and I don't think, I mean, if, if you want to atten- attend and I'm doing air quotes, if you want to attend a VR church service, I mean, that's fine. I don't think there's anything wrong with that, but I, I don't think that can replace you know the church, you know, the actual bodily uh, the, like a, an actual church service, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, I good. agree with that. So I just think that's so important. There's nothing wrong, you know. There's nothing wrong with VR church. I don't. Th- I mean, as far as like you know, participating in that, if you want to do that, I don't think there's anything. And 
like super wrong with that. It's just not might a, serve not. as a good way to reach people mm-hmm. that we wouldn't reach normally. There's a possibility that this could help find new people to spread right. the gospel to. However, I don't think it's a good substitute for church in general. I think you need to be there physically. You know, like if it, if it introduces you to Christ, that's awesome. And if you feel like you want to be baptized and, and make a public uh, pronunci- uh, pronunciation, well, I don't know. That's not what I meant to say. Yeah, that works. The a declaration of your faith. Yeah, like yeah. If you want to do that publicly, that's awesome. But I don't think theologically from what my what I know about theology, what I've been taught, this is like a good way to do that. I think well, you have I, an issue with the sacraments in any kind of virtual reality church situation. I just have that an makes interesting sense. closing thought that could be like our, I don't know. I don't know how it could become grace and peace or whatever, but I've been reading a book that was recommended to, to me from one of our mutual friends, uh, Matt Slater. Um, but it's by a guy named Emmanuel Cat- Catangole. I'm not going to say his name right. It's killing me. But he wrote this book called Mirror to the Church, which chronicles – uh, the Rwandan genocide, and he's from there. He, like he's from Rwanda. Well, I guess he he moved from Rwanda, lived in Uganda. But anyways, he just talks a lot about this sort of a thing. Uh, well, basically, just the church then uh, implementing new progressive things to try to evangelize really well. And basically, some some uh, terrifying stats that he shares. He's like, yeah, Rwandan was technically the most Christian nation in Africa, if not maybe even the world. Had, it was 85% Christian before the genocide, which is just bonkers. Wow. And he said a lot of missional influences and European influences on what was or wasn't important led to some some problematic issues between Hutus and Tutsis, right? So the, the quote, the line that is really interesting that's kind of applicable to what we're talking about is uh, a question was asked by a priest or somebody um, because the church there basically – there, there were priests that were like, hey, just don't throw grenades in the church. If you have to kill a, a tribe in here, please do it by hand. Like, that's what Jeez. priests were doing in Rwanda. It's like, they're really concerned about their buildings and stuff like that. But So, in response, there was priests that would come there, because a lot of this was Catholic um, churches that these were happening in. And this priest basically asked this question. He said, is the blood of tribalism deeper than the waters of baptism? And that quote has just kind mm. of like... Been bouncing around in my brain because, like, Mm -hmm. oh snap, that's a really good question. But it has a lot to do with how much that actually impacts you, not just physically, but spiritually, mentally, psychologically, yada, yada, yada. And then this priest was like, this bishop, I guess, was asking this priest these questions. He's like, you know what? I think the blood of tribalism runs deeper here. And he's like, well, that's obviously a problem. So, anyways, it was just this curious uh, pause to consider what baptism is supposed to signify in a person and how ultimately your identity, who you are is no longer in, in a tribalistic, you know, us versus them mentality thing, but, you know, bearing this incarnational image of Jesus, wherever you go, this is a curious, it's a curious image to wrestle with, especially when, man, I'm reading a book about Christians killing Christians because they have a different label. Hutu versus Tutsi. Like, oh my goodness. And literally bodies just racked up alongside of roads because potentially a million people were murdered there or genocided there. Just crazy. Well, and I mean, religion has played a massive role in so many genocides and it's just perversion. And Christian churches, I'm not just saying, like there are some where it was like, you know, Christians versus Islam or whatever and people, and Christians weren't necessarily the aggressors. But I mean, 
the church in Germany was like 95 plus percent current. Like the, the, the German people were 95% Christian or more. And the, like the Nazis used them in particular to spread their hate and create a massive genocide. The church was duped and used by Hitler, even though he was not a Christian. Um, he knew he could, he could use them. It's, it's a, it's a continuous thing. Like it, and then like the, the crusades, you know, it goes way back. Christians were killing Christians then too. Like people would go, Oh, we're on a crusade. They travel across the world and they just wipe out other Christians and steal all their stuff. Which seems to kind of come, you know, be in stark contrast with baptism and what that's supposed to be. Cause uh, that word, will you used incarnation. What I love about that word is it paints a picture of, uh, a God who would be willing to enter into our own mess physically, right? Uh, spiritually, yeah. like yeah. personally be there to, to slog through the muck and the mire with us to help us get up out of that. And so in, in some small way, I, I, perhaps that's our grace and peace moment thing that as Christians, if you really, if you're baptized, you were baptized uh, to, to no longer live into that old self thing, but to be incarnational in how you love and and not sit idly by if crap like that happens, but to speak up, speak out, say something about stuff like that. So, but yeah, yeah. I, I don't know. I, the that other quote, that quote is super troublesome for me. It's really if bothering you wanna, me. If you want to read up on that, so just like, can we put that book in the link, in a link in there? Sure. I'll put a link to the, the book in the, the on other social book media and in the, the podcast. I would suggest would be Torture and Eucharist. Oh, that's um, another terribly, awesomely it's, horrible. That one's pretty one. thick as far as theology. It's pretty heavy. So if you don't know, if you even study theology at all, it might be a little difficult to read because he's definitely a scholar who's writing it. But it's a phenomenal book, and it will tear your heart out. And it's about South America and waterboarding and how we people have been tortured and what the church tried to do. And it's 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 an amazing book. It is very difficult to read though. Um, but Marriage to the Church is a little more of a memoir, so it might be slightly yeah, easier. Yeah, uh, but those read. are both. I mean, I haven't read Marriage to the Church, but uh, Torture and Eucharist talks about the same kind of stuff. Like, what does the Eucharist actually mean? And it's that embodiment of Christ who was a human. So it's about the same stuff. And it's, yeah. But that's something that, that's the thing that the church needs to know our history and how we screwed up so badly. Because <laughs> we got to stop that. doing it again. Because it happens at generation after generation all over the world. I'm not like talking about one particular group. It's all over the place. The church has messed us up so many times. But we can so. learn from history and not repeat it and do better. Hopefully. <laughs> uh, we need more grace and peace. Time. We, we need more grace and peace. We need more time. We're already over our time. But uh, thank you, Master of the Divine. And thank you, Cow Scientist Byron. Um, I don't know what Here my help. funding. I guess I'm the lactose free guy or something on today's episode. There you go. The opposite you're of actually cow like, scientist. yeah, you're my, you're my mortal of... enemy. I'm a cow scientist. I mean, you could eat cows, I guess, but still. Can, you... can we please, like, come up with some comic book where that's literally, like, the, the superhero <laughs> and that's the villain, like, lactose man versus the evil cow scientist or something like that? The mad cow scientist. The mad cow. <laughs> oh, yes. Uh, oh. We're going to go off even longer into a tangent. We should end this podcast because we're trying to make them short. Man, we're such idiots, and I love it. Oh, hey, peace be with us. And also with with you. you. You Force be with you. Oh, all right, guys. Thanks for listening. (laughs) If you like this podcast, feel free to review it, rate it, uh, share it, even subscribe. 
all those great things would be very meaningful. You can find us on the social medias. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Uh, Rev Millennial on Twitter, and then the Millennial Pastor on Facebook and on Instagram. Um, but if you like to hear what Millennial Pastors think, if you like the short-form version, then stay tuned next time. We're actually going to get some different pastors rotating in and out eventually, probably sooner than later. So stay tuned because it's not just always going to be me, Byron, and Will being like this. So sorry about that. But until next time, I'm your host, Josiah. I'm your co-host, Byron. And I'm your co-host, Will. This is the hashtag blessed version of the Millennial Pastor Podcast. We'll talk to you later. Thank you.